Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled, Choosing the Right Path, was given by Bill Dogtrim and is the 17th in our series, The Sermon on the Mount. Uh, okay, we're uh, continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you've got Bibles, uh, turn with me, please, to the 7th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. If you need Bibles, we have some available for you. If you don't mind just kind of raising your hand, uh, we've got a bunch that we can get out. There's some uh, up, uh, up over here. Thank you. Uh, anybody else want one or need one? There should be one coming to you there. Good. Anybody else? Okay, excellent. Uh, we're in the Gospel of Matthew and uh, the seventh chapter. We're coming, kind of t- turning around the corner. We've got somebody up there. Thank you. Uh, kind of turning around the corner, heading towards home, towards the end of the sermon. Um, and, and so we're going to spend some time, as Jesus kind of has wrapped up now, he's ended the formal um, teaching part, if you will, of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? So uh, Darren ended this last week uh, with Jesus' strategy for getting things done in this kingdom of persons. Uh, and whether the persons are those with flesh and blood that you interact with on a regular basis, or whether they are... Uh, whether the person with whom you interact is God through prayer, there are three fundamental ways that we are limited to the getting of things done. We can ask and, and continue to use the mechanism of asking. We can seek and continue to use that mechanism, or we can knock and explore new opportunities and continue to use that mechanism. Whether or not those three things work, those are the limits on our capacity to get things done. We don't have any other options for getting things done in the kingdom of persons that accurately and honestly respects relationships. Does that make sense? As much as we might want to manipulate or control or judge or shame or uh, teach people to death or whatever else it is, right? We don't have any other options. So then Jesus goes on in verse 13 and says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those that find it. So now I want you to notice that these two verses mark the hinge on the sermon as it moves to conclusion. So Jesus has finished his formal teaching and now says, what are you going to do with what you've heard over the last six or seven months? Or in this case, over the last hour or two, if you read through the sermon thoughtfully, reflectively, you can read through the whole thing in about half an hour. What are you going to do with what you've heard? And I think you know Jesus well enough to know that he's not content for you to take notes when he talks. He's not content if you just say, now wasn't that interesting, let's do lunch. He really thinks that what he says will change your life, but only if you put feet to what you've heard. So again, Jesus is not interested in believers. He's interested in disciples. At a fundamental level, if you don't translate what you believe about Jesus into direct following of him, your belief is useless. 
And that's what this text is about this morning. So it's pretty intense uh, passage that we're going to look at. So uh, buckle up and, and let's, let's dig in here a little bit. You'll notice here in verse 13 that he starts this with the word enter. Uh, that word is used <clears throat> two other times in the sermon. It's used to introduce the sermon in Matthew 5, verse 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of the heavens. And he uses it to conclude the sermon. So the sermon is bookended by this language. He uses it to end the sermon in chapter 7. Later on here, we'll talk about it in verse 21, where he says... Uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of the heavens, but the one who does the will of my Father. So he bookends this sermon with this understanding that he is inviting you in through a, a narrow constraining gate that consists of about two and a half chapters of teaching. There's all kinds of ways to live, Jesus says. There's all kinds of ways to get through life. There's only one way, a narrow way, in which life works best, in which all of the pieces line up. Does that make sense? So as, as you kind of look at the crosshairs of the target of your life, as you maybe, I don't know if anybody has done SLR photography. Anybody done that? Uh, I, I, I used uh, an SLR. Um, anybody know what SLR? <laughs> uh, SLR means single lens reflex. Uh, and it is a, a photographic process by which when you look through a viewfinder, uh, it, it, the, the, it, does anybody care about this? <laughs> I, this is just my illustration, and I thought, boy, this is a cool illustration. Then I realized Larry and I are the only ones who are going to get this. But anyway, uh, when, when, when you look through a, uh, an SLR uh, lens and, and turn the focal lens, it brings into sharp focus, often with crosshairs, uh, a, a picture or a portrait so you can get a crystal clear uh, focused image uh, and, 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 and so the, the goal of what he's saying here is there's a whole lot of ways to be out of focus there's a whole lot of ways to be close there's a whole lot of ways to be not quite there's one way to line up the crosshairs so if you want to live a life of deep focus, keep the cross clear. That makes sense? That's what he's saying. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. And we'll talk about what that means here in a minute. Because the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. What Jesus is doing here is using a typical... Um, um, wisdom literature uh, kind of scenario portrayal. He's, he's, he's speaking almost like a, like a wise man from the Old Testament. You'll see this regularly, first in the Old Testament and then in all of the wisdom literature it shows up. Uh, you, you, you see it in the, in the uh, Proverbs. There is a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to destruction, right? Or you can look at it in Psalm 1, um, the, the, uh, the whole scenario is blessed is the man who does not walk in the way, right? Who does not listen to the counsel who, and so on and so forth. So you have this, this divergence of paths. Here you stand and, and, and two paths lead off in two different directions. And there is a way that seems right. 
There is a way that is wide, that is broad, that is well-traveled, that has rest stops, that has restaurants, that has bright lights, and there is a way that appears to be very difficult and is narrow and, and maybe doesn't have all of the creature comforts that you might get on this way. And so if you're not going, if, if you're not careful, you'll choose the way by the appearance of the way rather than by where the road ends. Because roads go somewhere. Right? And Jesus says, by the time you get to the end of the road, it's too late to choose the road. Does that make sense? By the time you get where you're going, you're there. Jesus is really smart. How many of you have discovered that you always end up where you're going? Right? So the place to choose where you're going is not at the end, but at the beginning. It's not rocket science. But how many of us have gone someplace and wished when we got there we were somewhere else? Right? Whether it's in a relationship or maybe on a road trip. My wife calls those adventures. Right? We're off, we're off, 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 the, off the GPS. We, we're, we're, we're on an adventure. That's where we are. Now, I'm fortunate that I am married to a global thinker who has a built-in GPS system in her very being. And so she can almost always get us back where we're going to go. But a lot of life doesn't have that as part of the fundamental, right? So Jesus is just saying, look, make up your mind. Life or destruction? Anybody want to vote? Right? Because if you want life then this narrow road is the only one that's available that's going to get to there. If you're, if you're willing to settle for destruction, there's all kinds of ways that you can go. So Jesus is not saying this as a way of narrowing the range of options. He's not saying this as a way of rejecting persons. He's just saying, make up your mind. Where do you want to go? If you want to go to Seattle... Don't turn right on the 405. Just a thought, right? Okay, are you guys going to work with me this morning or not? I think I'm really entertaining, but you're looking. <laughs> but but, but, but here's, here's what happens. We turn south on the 405. We end up in San Diego angry that it's not Seattle. Now, I don't know why you'd be angry that Seattle and San Diego got mixed up, but you might, right? Or, and Jesus is just saying, look, make up your mind. This is not a restriction on your freedom. It's the way to freedom if your goal is life. This is not saying you can't do these things. It's just saying they won't get you where you say you want to go. So cut it out. Choose. Because the gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life. And at the end of the day, there's a whole... Bunch of people that choose destruction over life. Why? Because destruction is default. If you don't choose, you will naturally get caught up in the flow that leads to destruction. Anybody figured that out already? You have to, you have to choose deliberately not to get 
caught up in that, in that, in that direction. Then we go on to verse 15 because Jesus is aware that people are going to be hearing what he is saying long after he is off the scene. And he's warning this. Matthew is the gospel of the church. It's the gospel of discipleship. So Jesus is laying out here how life is going to work after he's there and can't bring into alignment. If the road is narrow and the road is broad, and you have a choice between two of those roads, be careful who you listen to, because, verse 15, I need you to beware of false prophets, those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorns, nor figs from thistles, are they? So, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Now, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Back up at verse 15. He is saying, beware of false prophets. Now, this is not... Um, another way to say this is beware of false teachers. Beware of, of people who come proclaiming a word of the Lord that's different than what he has just done. Because remember, he thinks that his narrow way is defined by what he's just spent the last two and a half chapters doing. That's the narrow way. If you want life, pay attention to what you've heard him say in the last two and a half chapters. That's the narrow way. Okay? Uh, and he's, but he's aware that there are all kinds of people that are going to come teaching other things, additional things, maybe contrary things. And he, they, will, they, will, they will look like you. They will, they, will, they will sound like you. They will use religious language. They will use spiritual language. They will use language like the Lord said, which is the prophetic kind of frame, the bona fides, the CV, CV rather, CV, CV of the, 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 the curriculum vitae of, of the false prophet is this spirituality sometimes that, that cloaks. And he, notice what he's saying here. At the end of the day, they're not sheep. They're wolves dressed up to look like sheep. Uh, and and I've got to be honest, these people didn't disappear at the end of the first century. There are false teachers, false prophets, popularly involved in church life that continue to lead people in, uh, astray. I don't know who they are entirely. We've got a few in mind but I'm not going to share my short list with you because Jesus gives us a description. You can, you, this is why, by the way, it's really important to find a local church where the text is unpacked verse by verse, week after week after week after week. It's, it's, it, frankly, whether it's this church or another church, find a place where the Bible, you, when you open it, you actually can walk through the thing. With, with the sermon. Okay? 
because that, 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 I think, is going to be how we're going to be able to... Now, you can still get led off track by people who misuse the text. So we'll talk about that uh, uh, later. But here Jesus is saying, watch out for false prophets who come to you dressed like you, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. How do you identify false prophets? Is it first by their teaching? Jesus says no. It's first by their lifestyle. Now, you'll notice here what that requires. That requires that teachers be known. That requires that they have a familiarity with a local community such that somebody can say, I attest to his character or her character. I approve in, in, in some sense. I can write a letter of reference for them. They live out what they speak. They live out the narrow way of the Sermon on the Mount. They, they are, in fact, good at controlling anger. They are good at faithfulness in relationships. They are, are good at saying something and doing that thing that they say. Now, you can't do that if you're just hopping around from place to place to place to place. That's one of the reasons why, why a, a healthy church is not going to let anybody who wants to speak. That's one of the reasons. We need to know if there's traction on the lifestyle. If there's not traction on the lifestyle, anybody can say anything. Right? This is one of the reasons why I'm, I get so nervous with, and, 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 and you don't look like a, a, a crowd that's, that's deeply involved in Christian television or radio, but let me just say, that's what makes me nervous about Christian television or radio. Who knows those people? Who knows their life and lifestyle? Who knows whether all they do is talk and not walk? Because Jesus is saying the community of faith needs to be a community that functions to help us know who we should be listening to and who we should not be listening to. Because sometimes I think we're just too naive as Christians. Right? If, if they've got a big bus, if they've got a, a flashy logo, if, if, if they got a splash screen, and... Can I just suggest to you that the internet is now even worse because it brings false stuff into our homes and, and, and I, I mean, you guys are incredibly sophisticated. I can just tell by looking at you. I'll bet you not one of you has succumbed to the Nigerian millionaire scheme. Right? Uh, this week alone, I had opportunities, and I can't believe yet that I've turned them down, but opportunities, I added them up. I added them up. I could have had deposited into my account, please send me your account number, over $150 million U.S. Wow! I could really be helpful to the kingdom with that kind of money, Right? And all I had to do, all I had to do was give routing information and account numbers. How easy could it be an oh, please include social security number? <laughs> How stupid do they think we are? Don't you think that people fish where they catch fish? The same thing is true, not just in terms of the stupidity of the Reverend Mrs. Jacob Pastor, 
She was the one who was my primary correspondent this week. But in terms of false stuff that comes across, and I mean, there's a whole website devoted to internet myths. I wish there was one devoted to false prophets that would help us sort out the junk that comes flooding in if you don't have a good spam filter. Friends, Jesus is saying you need a good spam filter on your soul. Because there's a lot of stuff out there. And, and it's sexy. It's wonderful. It's, 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 it's filled with all kinds of bells and whish, whistles and, and proofs and stories and testimonies. And Jesus is just saying, here's the deal. Stick right to the center and you won't fall in the ditch on either side. Now, truth, the garden is a church that believes in the, in the work and power of the Holy Spirit. This church would not exist apart from the life of the Holy Spirit. Now, that can get us into some weirdness. I grew up as a Pentecostal kid. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, and I have seen some weird stuff in my life. Can I just, I want to say, um, I want to risk weirdness. But I want to stay centered. Because Jesus is going to say to us, there are people who are going to come. The next passage is really scary for people like me, which we'll get to in just a sec. But he wants, to, wants us to notice that the way you tell somebody as a false prophet troop is, is not by what they say first. It's not by what they do first in terms of the public performance. It's by how they live when nobody's looking. Right? And by the way, anybody notice that's also true about you. How you treat the waitress or the waiter is a better indicator of the gut of your character than how you behave towards folks here on Sunday morning. I did a uh, church growth, uh, I was a church growth consultant for a while, for about 10 or 15 minutes once. I wasn't very good at it. Um, so, but but one, of the, one of the questionnaires I developed was a uh, community impression questionnaire. And I went around to service stations and restaurants and um, uh, various other, other uh, venues that, are, that any given congregation that I was studying was going to be seen at, right? And particularly restaurants because... Uh, you know, they Sunday it's fairly obvious who the who the believers are. They they flood in around 11:30, 12 or 12:30 or one o'clock somewhere in there, and 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 you can detect. So I I went around to the restaurants that people you would be surprised at at at, at maybe you wouldn't, but you would be surprised at how many people working in those places of employment, those restaurants and 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 so on and so forth, really didn't like Christians very much. Lousy tippers, or they leave me a tract. Right? Here's a tip for you. You're going to hell. <laughs> Jesus is saying, no, let good fruit comes out of a good tree. Bad fruit, bad lifestyle. And 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 in terms of the false prophets, in terms of the the, the people in the spotlight look particularly at three things, money, sex, and power. 
Look at those three things. If there's disconnection at any one of those three things, then you're dealing with a false prophet. I don't care what he or she says. Is that harsh? Might be tough. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is saying it's a narrow way. I don't want you falling in the ditch on each side of the road. So let's just stay right to the center. Don't get all caught up in these esoteric things. Stay deeply focused on what is true at the center. Sermon on the Mount is going to help us. That's one of the reasons why we chose this series of sermons to start off who we are as a church and why the next series that we're looking at uh, is going to be similar. It's just going to say this is how life works. And then in, this, in September, we're going to talk about who we are as a community. Uh, so as we keep plodding through this, um, we, 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 we get there. Um, Jesus says, so you'll know them by their, by their fruit. Um, now the truth is, verse 19, every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It really matters how you live more than it matters what you say. And by the way, false prophets don't have to be people who stand in the spotlight. False prophets can be people in a home group or people in a, in a, in a smaller context who want to bring, bring, bring. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with new insights and new ideas and things, but at the end of the day, your credibility does not depend on your ability to download stuff from the Internet. Your credibility depends on how you treat people, how you walk with integrity in relationships, how you manage your financial resources and whether you're defined by greed, right? And, and how you manage your ego, how you manage your power. Uh, those, those are the dynamics. Um, so uh, here we go in, in, in verse 21 where it gets really, really scary for people like me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of the heavens. Rather, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In fact, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many works of power. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Anybody else feel the temperature go down in the room with that one? Because this is, this is Jesus is saying, this is, this, is, this is for keeps. This stuff really matters in terms of how we live and, 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 and practice. So back up at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of the heavens. We've already talked about that kind of book, uh, book ending the, the, the sermon. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in the heavens, many will say to me on that day. Uh, that day is a, a, a phrase that every Jew would have understood. And I think we now understand as well as the, the day he's referring to there is the day of the Lord, the day of God's return, the day of judgment, that, that we realize that at the end of the day, there will be an end to the day. That there will be a stopping point to time. And at that day, the scripture indicates that there will be a, a judgment. There will be a separating of persons based 
not on what they say, but on how they have lived. Jesus tells a famous story at the end of the uh, uh, end of Matthew chapter 25, where he talks about separating sheep from goats. How many think it's difficult to tell sheep different from goats? It's not hard. Sheep and goats are different. You don't have to be a particularly astute shepherd to do that. And, 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 and you'll notice as you work through chapter 25 that the distinction between sheep and goats is not appearance, but behavior. You did this, that makes you a sheep. You did this, that makes you a goat. It's not difficult. By the time you get to the distinction between sheep and goats, you probably already know, like he said, the road that leads to destruction is wide. When you get there, it's too late to decide where you want to go. Okay? So as we look at this text, look, look at what he's saying here. Many will say to me on that day, on that day of judgment, uh, Lord, Lord, seeking, in other words, to enter the kingdom of the heavens at that place, at that time. And they will trot out these behavioral things. Look at them. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles or works of power in your name? So what are these folks at the end of the age saying, Lord, Lord, what are they depending on? What is their resume that they hand to Jesus as, as, as indicators that he ought to let them enter the kingdom of the heavens? It is all of the stuff that they did of a miraculous nature in his name. And what does Jesus say? I didn't know you. Oh, wait, was that a condition? Do you mean it's not enough for me to know you? You also have to know me? What's up with that? Why didn't anybody tell me? So a lot of the things, especially for me growing up in a Pentecostal charismatic environment, and I find this often at the university that I teach at, people will trot out these three things. Prophetic words, which I believe in. By the way, that's not the point. Um, exorcisms, which I also believe in. There are demonic presences, and persons and systems sometimes need to be exercised. We don't need to be panicky about that. That's just the reality of the supernatural universe in which we live. Right? And doing mighty works of power. And Jesus says those three things by themselves are proof of absolutely nothing. That just freaks me out. Because often those are the things that I, boy, let's get a camera, let's get that on film, let's take pictures, let's, let's, let's. And that becomes, especially for false prophets, the proof of their authenticity. Look at how many people are healed. Look at how, how, how the prophetic words flow and how people resonate with and hear those prophetic words. Look at how many people are delivered or set free. And Jesus says, at the end of the day, that's not enough at the end of the day. It does not matter whether you throw my name around 
with power. It matters whether I know your name. You, you, I mean, this is, this is, this isn't, and this isn't about threat. It's just saying, because there's an easy way to resolve this, right? Enter by the narrow gate. Anybody unclear on what you need to do to make sure this doesn't happen at the end of the age to you? Because we fit into this category. Does Jesus know you? And, and the proof is not going to be in these miraculous things. And I found myself often as a pastor just really longing for this kind of power. And at the, at the, at the, the text, it's not proof of anything. You know what proof of knowing the name of Jesus is? Consistent faithfulness in the production of the fruit of the Spirit. Like what? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, temperance. Goodness, faithfulness, those things. That's the mark of the name of Jesus being lived out large in somebody's life. Now, miracles, wonderful. Not going to take any pictures. They're proof of nothing other than the grace, mercy of God. Prophetic words, good on you. But I'm not going to write anything down. Somebody gives me a prophetic word, I just say thank you, and I don't put any money in that bank. Anybody had a prophetic word get spoken over you trying to figure out how do I make this happen? How do I make this happen? If it's a prophetic word, you can't. I love Mary's response, right? We talked about this uh, as we were working through the Advent season. The angel comes to Mary and says, uh, you know what, what he says to her, and she says, bring it on. It's your job, not mine. I don't know how to do this. That's the response. Right? I don't, I don't, it's not guidance. It's not direction. It's not do this instead of this. It should be, if anything else, a prophetic word that comes to you should, be, uh, should resonate with what God has already been speaking into your soul. And if it doesn't, you just smile and move on and watch out for the teeth. Because... In that sheep's clothing, there may well be a ravenous wolf who desires to consume your soul. Yes, boys and girls, they do exist. Right? Anybody have any questions so far? You guys are awful quiet today. It's like... I'm, I, I, seriously. Want to push back? Want to yell? Because I want to finish this up, but I don't want you to leave uncertain. All right. So we'll just settle into nothing. No, this is a, this is a heavy word for us, isn't it? Um, it really means we shouldn't be just wandering around all over the landscape looking for teachers because we're entertained by them. You already know, most of you already know, enough to get you to heaven and take people with you. So we don't need a lot of entertaining stuff. We don't need a lot of uh, all of those other things. We need to stay centered and focused on this narrow word. Here's what Jesus says in verse 23. I will declare to them, I never knew you. And he quotes here from Psalm uh, 6. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He uses a very technical term that unfortunately is not 
contained well in the New International Translation. And, and what it means is people who don't do what they're told. Now this is a, this is a difficult one for us. So bear with me for just one sec as, as, I, as I unpack this a little bit. Jesus is not saying those folks who do these things, prophetic words or exorcisms, or they're all bad, evil. He just says, do those things when I tell you to do those things and not any other time. How many of you know that Jesus had power to do more than he did? It's really important that you sit with that for a minute. He could have healed every sick person in Galilee. He didn't. He could have raised every dead person in every cemetery in history because he was the resurrection and life, correct? How many did he raise? That we know of, two. The son of the widow of Nain, quirky little story in the middle of nowhere, and Lazarus. That's it. Why? If he had the power to raise everyone from the dead, didn't he do that? Apparently, it was not what the Father was doing. Remember, John chapter 5, Jesus tells us he only does what he sees the Father doing. He only says what he hears the Father saying. He and the Father are on perfect alignment. So he is only doing at any given time what he knows that the Father is doing. John chapter 5 is a classic example of that. He's got five porches full of sick people. How many get healed that day? One guy. And a loser at that. I mean, just such a dweeb. You, you wonder, how in the world was this guy qualified to be healed? No, that's not the point. Jesus doesn't heal people just so that they're healed. He heals people so that something of the kingdom becomes present in the moment. It's really important that we sit with this because some of you have prayed for healing and haven't been healed. Some of you have prayed for other people for healing and they haven't been healed. And you beat yourself up because you don't have enough faith. The issue is not having enough faith. The issue is it might not be what God is doing in this moment. You have a God who can say, in response to being asked, no. Because if you don't, you don't have the Father of Jesus. Because remember, he said no to his own son. This is, this is, so, so when we get here, remember these, in your name we did this, in your name we did that, in your name we did the other thing, is then Jesus said you didn't do what I told you to do. You were disobedient. You are a worker of lawlessness. You got caught up in the bells and whistles and the show, and you missed the central frame of what I came here to do. Because that stuff's so cool, so entertaining, but if it doesn't at the end of the day bring glory to God because that's what he's doing, it's lawlessness, it's distraction. It gets in the way. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Lord, as we sit with this text, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because it's so kind of heavy on it. At least it is on me. And um, certainly it's not a, not a Mother's Day text. 
But um, here we are, Lord, uh, and I just have a sense that this is where we are as a community. Um, because we are faced with all of these kinds of distractions, whether it's on TV or radio or internet or friends that send us links or blogs or um, all kinds of kinds of stuff and and Lord we long for that kind of, of immediacy and presence and power in our faith and and the work of your spirit we long for that but Lord we can be distracted by that we can believe things about people that we don't know that we have no knowledge of the fruit of their life. We don't know if they treat their wife or their husband with kindness and generosity. We don't know if they handle money properly. We don't know if, 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 they're, if they, 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 they crush people who work with them. We don't know that. But we're attracted by the pretty music of the miracle. Please help us not just to discern who are the false teachers, but to ourselves choose to walk the narrow way. Because we want to live at the end of the day. We want to be called by our names by you. We don't want to just recognize you, O oh Lord. We want you to recognize us. And so, oh Lord, as we sit here in this sanctuary this morning, made a sanctuary by the praises of your people and the presence of your spirit, I just ask you to draw us to yourself. Maybe there's somebody here who needs to make a fresh, or maybe for the first time, a decision to follow Jesus in the narrow way. They've recognized they've gotten distracted by stuff. They recognize that the fruit of their life does not demonstrate that they're following in a path of life. Or maybe they followed somebody who's heading them in the wrong direction, as indicated by that person's lifestyle. And I pray, oh God, that you would embrace them to life, that you would speak their name into their hearing. that you would let them know that they are your beloved. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from The Garden, or would like to find out more about The Garden Church, please visit us on the web at thegardenlb.org.